I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 10, 1 to 9, and this is uh, continuing in our Start with Blessing series. So let me read. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So I want to stop here for the mind-blowing concept that Jesus wants to come to your neighborhood. He wants to come to your neighborhood, but he's sending you in advance. It said, Jesus sent them out to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus has an itinerary. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. But before I go, I'm going to send my representatives out uh, before me. And so that's what Jesus' strategy was, and that's what he did. But when we take it to our own lives, isn't it amazing that Jesus wants to visit and encounter the people in your sphere of influence, mostly I'll say today, your neighborhood. He's sending you in advance. Let's read further. It says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I wonder, wherever you're listening to this from today, is that true about where you live? Does the harvest, that means the many people who, need, who don't know Jesus yet, who don't follow Jesus, does it seem big? And how about the workers? How about the people who do know Jesus and want to share Jesus with other people? Do they seem few? Well, we're, we're invited, not just invited, we're commanded to pray this prayer that God would raise up more partners, more laborers, more people who know Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our spheres of influence. I love what uh, Pastor Kurt shared on this last week. He said, the next uh, line is basically, go, I'm sending you. So you pray this prayer, God, raise up people to reach my neighborhood, and then the first answer to your prayer is yourself. By going, And I think that's pretty amazing that the answer to prayer is, is, is activated, although you're asking for even more. And he says, Ghosts, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, lambs among wolves are not usually very confident. If anything, they're terrified. Uh, if we are lambs, and those that Jesus said we're going to are wolves, how can we be confident? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how starting with blessing and the, the four steps of progression that are sort of laid out in Jesus' plan for his disciples are also something that can bring us confidence today. In fact, as a church leadership, we've been praying now for a couple of years that God would give us the right kind of strategies, the right kind of ideas in how to approach the people in our community with, with, the, with uh, presenting Jesus to them. How can we do that? And uh, today I'm going sh- to share that four-part plan, and, uh, and it's something that's been giving me hope and been giving me confidence as I meditate on it, and I hope it'll really encourage you today as well. So, let's read a little further. Uh, it says, When you enter a house, first say peace to this house, and if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So let me give you the four steps, and I'm going to talk about, mainly about the first step and the second one today, the first and the second. So the four steps are basically this. Bless people. Bless people. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. When you enter the house of somebody else or when you enter into their their neighborhood, their backyard, their front lawn, wherever you encounter them, how do you approach them? What's your heart posture towards them? Is it one of blessing? 
And so bless them. And the second thing is, it says stay there. Spend time with them. That is the second piece. Spend time with them. It says stay at the house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. So eating and drinking really implies that you do, like that's, that's time invested. So spend time with them. And then the third one is meet their felt needs. Meet their felt needs. So he says, heal the sick. So if someone's sick, that's, their, that's the thing they feel the deepest that they need help with, right? If they're desperately sick, you say, well, what, how can I help you? Well, I just, I'm sick. That's my biggest need, right? I had someone come in not that long ago, and um, they had come in for counseling, and as I was meeting with them and counseling them in, in one area, it became apparent that there was another area that was a much bigger concern in their life, and it wasn't something that I could uh, meet just by my own resources. It was something that God was going to have to do. So I actually stopped the counseling session and said, wait a second. It sounds like the most painful thing in your life right now is this physical thing that you're experiencing. Can we pray about that? Because I don't want to go out of this meeting and ignore the one thing that, hurt, that brings you the most pain in life. Can we pray about that? And I don't know what the result will be, but I do know that God loves you and uh, he cares about what you're going through. So we took that time and we prayed. So it's meeting the felt needs, the things that people feel at the deepest level. And then finally, proclaim Jesus. Uh, in the scripture it says, say to them, this is what Jesus said, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So when people are blessed, when you spend time with them, and when you meet their felt needs, they're going to say, well, what is this? This is sort of nice. This is sort of great. And then you can say, hey, it's not me being a good person. I'm actually not that great of a person, but God's been working on my heart. <laughs> the kingdom of God is coming near to you. And what is the kingdom of God? Kurt outlined this very well in the last few weeks. It's simply this. Wherever Jesus is king, that's the kingdom of God. Any heart that he has come to give leadership to is the kingdom of God. And so when there's many people who uh, have given their hearts over to Jesus and have decided to embrace his ways for their lives instead of their own way, that's where the kingdom springs up. And when people experience the kingdom through blessing, through time spent, and through meeting their needs, they start going, I think this kingdom is pretty wonderful stuff. So start with Blessing is the name of the series. So let's start with that. What do you say to others? What do you say to others when you first meet them? Um, I've had a habit recently when I meet uh, new people to Canada, or new Canadians, or they're immigrants, or refugees, or whatever their status is when they come. When my habit has been recently is just to say to them, somewhere in the early conversation, I'm really glad you're here in Canada. I'm really glad you're here, and I hope that you flourish. You do well. I hope that your family grows and is healthy, and you get good jobs, and that the future for you is bright and wonderful. So I'm speaking blessing. It's like I'm saying peace to their house. I'm speaking blessing to their lives. Now, what if I was saying that to them verbally, but in my heart I had a totally different attitude? What if I just sort of uh, filtered my words so they said the right thing to say, but inside I was thinking, I hope you go home back to where you came from. Or I really don't want you here. Or I don't like you. What if uh, there would be an inconsistency? So many people have spent mu so much of their time trying to filter their words and say the right words. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's probably quite healthy to think of better ways to say things. But they haven't done the same diligence with their heart. This week I've been watching social media and all over there are people carefully crafting posts about very delicate issues. 
They should craft them delicately because it's very dangerous to get it wrong. But are people spending as much time checking their own heart as they are checking out their own hashtag? Are we really caring about the transformation from within so that it's not just words that we say, but we actually have a heart of blessing towards other people? So starting with blessing might mean starting with repentance. It might mean starting with you saying, I don't feel any love towards this person. In fact, you might have animosity towards them, and it might be based on a prejudice, but it also might be based on their track record. You have engagement. I'm going to talk about blessing your neighbors. You might have neighbors that are very difficult to bless for many reasons, but we realize Jesus has blessed us in spite of our track record, and so we long to do for others what he has done for us. So, start with blessing. What do you say about others? And what do you say behind their back? <laughs> and what do you say to them about God? What do you say to the, about them to God? I think Kurt said it really well. He, he quoted last week that famous quote. Um, before you talk to your neighbors about God, or before you talk to people about God, talk about them to God. Now, this isn't talking about them in a negative way. God, I just hope you smite them. No, it's, it's saying, God, would you bless them? In fact, you're asking God to bless them in every way that you would like to be blessed, in every way that you'd like your family to be blessed. So you say, God, I, I want health for that family. I want prosperity for them. I want good jobs for them. I want them to be provided for and protected. And I want them to be loved and to have lots of laughter in their home. Everything you would pray for your own home. Now, for some of us, you just twigged into the fact that, oh, I should be praying that stuff for my own home? That would be a great place to start. If you're going to start with blessing, start blessing your own home. Start praying and asking God to change the atmosphere in your home. And then pray that for your neighbors as well. Pray that for the people in your sphere of influence, whether they're coworkers, classmates, or, or what have you. Family, relatives, pray blessing over people. What does blessing sound like? Uh, probably the most popular song in the whole COVID-19 quarantine season has been a song called The Blessing uh, by Elevation Church. And here, here, these are, I'm going to read you some of the lines of it. If I read you the whole song and all the lyrics, I'd be reading for quite a while because the song goes on for quite a while. But here's the gist. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you. And so we've seen lots, of, if you've been on social media, you might have seen lots of videos online where churches and people are singing this song over their city, over their church, over their nation, over the world. Because people are just saying, this is the blessing of God. God desires to bless the world. In fact, he made a promise to Abraham years ago. He said, I, through your generations, through the, your kids, grandkids, kids, grandkids, and et cetera, et cetera, 
I'm going to bless the whole world. That was God's intention, to bless the whole world. Well, that blessing was going to come through one of his great, 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 great grandkids, Jesus. Jesus was born, of course, fully God, fully man, gave his life to bless the world, to bring us into relationship. And that blessing is meant to come to your neighborhood and God's sending you in advance. So blessing others does several things. It changes your heart. You know what? When people are struggling with unforgiveness, we, I, I, I first talk to them about giving up revenge. That's the first step. You've got to give up revenge. You want to hang on to this bitterness, this grudge. I talk to them about that. Let that go. It's poisoning your life. It's ruining things. Let that go. But then I talk to them. That's the beginning stage. The end stage of forgiveness is blessing. Did you know that? Jesus said, bless those who curse you. So someone's hurt you. They've cursed you. They've done something nasty towards you. They've, as Jesus said, they've despitefully used you. That's the phrase he used. And what does he say to do them? Bless them and pray for them. So when you forgive someone, initially you're saying, okay, I'm not going to kill that person now. You're giving up revenge. I'm not going to slander them now. Right? It doesn't mean that sometimes in specific circumstances, police don't get involved and other things don't happen. There's still justice. Justice is still important. But I'm forgiving. I'm choosing to forgive. And I'm starting the road towards blessing them. For some of you, starting with blessing means starting with forgiveness. And you've got to forgive so that you can begin to bless. I know for me, sometimes when I've been angry at someone and I've forgiven them, made the act of the will, Jesus, I choose to forgive. I know it's right. I know you demand that of your followers, so I will do it. Now help me bless them. My first few prayers for them to bless them are through gritted teeth because I don't really have any love in my heart for them, but that grows over time as you continue to bless people. So it changes your heart. It also changes the spiritual atmosphere. In your home, and also it can change the spiritual atmosphere in someone else's home as well. As you pray prayers of blessing over somebody else, you say, God bless them, God take care of them, God change that, God help their marriage, God bless their kids, all those different things. Things can change there as well, and it can change circumstances in their life. So blessing is not just empty words, it's dramatic life transformation. And you know, people want to be blessed. They want to be blessed. Let me share some scriptures. I don't think I got this to the PowerPoint guys, so it might not be up there. But it's a story in the Old Testament about two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older brother, and in that, uh, that tradition, the older brother got a dramatic firstborn son blessing. It was a big thing to be the firstborn. And Jacob conspired together with his mom, who he was his mom's favorite, to steal the firstborn blessing from his dad, who was blind. And so his dad couldn't tell from his sight which son was which, except for the older brother had hairier arms. So they put a goat skin on the arms. They came in and he said, here, dad, I got you some soup. And uh, would you bless me? He said, yes, I'm going to give you that first. Wait a second, your voice sounds funny. Is that really you? You sound a little bit like my other son. Oh, feel my arms, dad. Oh, yeah, that's so hairy. That's got to be the firstborn. Okay, it's definitely you. I bless you as the firstborn. He gives this massive blessing. And then Jacob runs off. And the older son comes along, and he's brought soup for his dad, which was part of the deal. He said, Dad, I brought you some soup. And Dad says, Who are you? I'm your firstborn Esau. And he says, I'll read it to you. Isaac trembled violently because he realizes what has happened. He gave away that firstborn blessing to the, to, the, to the younger son. And he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it just before you came. And I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. 
When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me. Me too. Me too, my father. Bless me too. The desperation in Isaac, I think, is a desperation that everyone shares. If you knew how desperately people wanted love, acceptance, and belonging, you would know how powerful blessing really is. Why do you think social media is so popular? I mean, there's lots of reasons, right? There's dopamine, it's a bit addictive. But you get likes and maybe affirming comments even. I think that's pretty significant. People are hungry for that. Most people have, been, have caught on, though, that you, you only can get likes or, or affirming comments if you say the right things. And so people have, tr- are trying to say the right words. They're trying to be, uh, say the right words so that they get blessing. Right? They're trying to present themselves as a certain way. They're trying to say, I'm a good person. Let me signal how virtuous I am to you through saying the right things on social media. And then they go back and they go, oh, I got 20 likes. I feel a little bit better about myself. I feel like that hollow place in me has got something in it a little bit now. And, and we all want blessing. We all want to be accepted. And the thing is, that we as Christians have a different message to those who are longing for blessing than the world gives them. The world says, if you're funny enough, if you're good-looking enough, if you say the right things, if you side with me politically, etc., 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 I'll bless you. I'll love you. I'll accept you. But Jesus says a different thing. He says, while you are antagonistic towards me, while you're indifferent towards me, and while you don't want anything to do with me, I'll, I'm dying for you. I love you so much I'm dying for you. And so Jesus is the friend to those who can't earn love. Oh, he's the friend to all of us. Even if you've got some sort of system where you can get some people to like you. Jesus doesn't need that system. Jesus loves you despite all the things. So if you can present yourself well and hide the real you, someone else might love you. But Jesus will love you in spite of of all the stuff in your life that nobody else knows about. It's an amazing love. It's the kind of blessing that people are longing for. And he wants to extend that through you. He wants to extend that to people through you. People, everyone you lock eyes with matters to God. Every single one. And God wants people to know that. And he's sending you. So people want to be blessed. They're hungry for it. They may not have the blessing of their parents or their family, their co-workers, their classmates, their neighbors, or anyone. And you might be able to see why. You might say, well, their behavior. But God doesn't bless you because you're worthy. He did it because he's loving, merciful, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. In fact, his great, very, it's very interesting. God wants, God hates sin and loves people, and he wants to separate people from their sin. He wants to do a transformation in your life so that those habits, destructive habits, those me-centered habits are, are transformed in your life. You can be a giving people. You can be a loving person. He wants to do that in your life, but you know what? He doesn't wait till that's done before he loves you. He loves you now. He loves you before you change a thing. Luke 10, 5 to 9. Let me just walk through uh, a, few, a little bit more. It says, when you enter this house, first say peace to this house. Peace to this house. I said it already. This depends on what's happened in your heart. Right? 
You can say the right words, but if you actually despise someone in your heart, that will leak out in so many ways. Your body posture will give it away. Your words eventually will, you won't be able to filter them all. They'll give it away. Your attitude towards them will give it away. You actually have to have a transformation of love in your heart. A man came to Jesus and asked this question. This is also in Luke chapter 10. And what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? Right now, there's a lot of questions swirling around in our culture about different types of neighbors. For example, do you love your neighbor who's black? That's a, that's a question that people are asking. It's an important question, very important question. And for us to really deal with that in a deep way is important. Uh, in Canada, probably the corollary, the one that goes with it, we automatically jump to is do you love your aboriginal neighbor? Right? Because racism is the, is, the, is the sin. It is a sin. Racism is a sin that's getting the most play in the media right now. Right? Uh, injustice and and brutality, other things. But, but racism is sort of the undercurrent of what we're talking about. And you, you know, we think about it. Uh, the Bible is against racism. You think God created people in so many different colors. He must love color. There's so many different shades. In our house, there's a little bit of diversity in color. And we love it. We love it. And uh, so, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor who's black or aboriginal or etc., etc., etc. Pick an ethnicity. I got thinking a little bit about, I'll tell you a little bit of a moment I had. I was walking to church the other day, and um, I saw a police car, and it was stopped, and I think setting up a sort of a speed trap on Thatcher Road there. And I was walking, and as I, I was walking, I saw written on the side of the police car a word that got me emotional. You know what the word was? Canine. It said canine on it. And why did that hit me so emotionally? It hit me emotionally because I had heard in the news, on the radio, I'd heard that um, they had a new dog in the canine unit. And the new dog in the canine unit was named Merce, after my friend Jason Mercer. Now, he was a, a, a policeman who we lost a few years ago, and he, he was so loved in this community, so loved in this community, and so loved in our church. And when I saw that word canine, it just... I, heard the, I had heard the story in the, on the news, and immediately I'm thinking about Jason Mercer. And I had such all positive. Everything, I, all my interactions with Jason Mercer were positive. I, and so I have this warm feeling come into my heart. I'm thinking about him. I'm seeing him. You know, I, I like one of the things he used to do. He'd sort of walk into a situation. Like he was super tall. I don't know how tall he was. Massive. And he'd walk into a situation, and he'd go like this, like all serious. And you'd sort of think, oh, maybe this is a serious situation. And then he'd like just break out in a big smile and you go, man, that guy's just awesome. Just a great guy. So I saw canine on the side of this car and I suddenly had this instant reaction of just feeling just the warmth and, and good feelings towards Jason Mercer. And then I had this big goofy smile on my face. And as I walked by the car, I looked at the police officer who had his, his window down and he was, he, I looked at him and just, I, I must have had the biggest, broadest, goofiest smile. And I just smiled at him. And then I waved. <laughs> like, I don't know. He looked at me. Now he had his game face on because he's probably just about to pull over a speeder in just a few minutes. So he didn't, he just sort of looked at me. And I thought, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. He doesn't know that by association to Jason Mercer, I just want to hug the guy. Now, what's happening in our world? 
We all watched the video. Well, not all of us, but many of us watched the video where we saw another police officer kneel on the neck of a black man for seven or eight minutes, and then he's di- he died. And so in, in, for many of us, we have that association. And so now you, you could have a wide variety of, of experiences, right? Do you love your black neighbor? The next question is, do you love your neighbor who's a policeman? Jesus has called us to bless. He's called us to bless. But it's not so easy. We live in a tricky world sometimes. And sometimes our hearts is the place where the resistance is the fiercest to blessing people around us. So how did Jesus deal? You know, I I found this just absolutely fascinating watching the news and reading this chapter this week. How did Jesus deal with racism? You say, well, racism really didn't happen back then. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Racism was everywhere. was everywhere. Uh, but let me just, I'm going to read you a story from before chapter 10 of Luke in chapter 9, and then back into chapter 10 and connect them together. It says in chapter 9, verse 51, it says, At the, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, so Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he set messengers on ahead. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is coming to your neighborhood. He's sending you in advance. Huh? Okay. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. What is that? That's racism. Now, there is racism between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people who were half Jewish, right? Assyrian and Jewish blood, I believe, was sort of their ancestry. And they didn't like each other. And so here, Jesus is saying, let's go there. I'm going to send you guys ahead. I'm going to be coming to Samaritan. Can you guys set up things for me? And the disciples come back and say, they won't accept you. Why? Because you're a Jew. Because you're heading to Jerusalem. They want nothing to do with you. So Jesus experienced the butt end of racism. And what was the response of the disciples? Was it, hey, let's start with blessing. Let's read it. It says, When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? (laughs) So the early disciples, before they were really transformed, their method was not start with blessing. Their method was start with blasting. They were like, we've experienced something that isn't right. It's unjust. We just want a place to stay. This is racist. We hate those guys. We want them dead. And it says, Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. Jesus is practicing exactly what he preached. Remember he said, when you come into a house, and you say, peace to this house, and if there's a person of peace there, and they sort of receive your blessing, then stay there and and interact with them and build relationship. But you might also not have a person of peace there who receives you and then that's okay just wipe your feet off and move on well Jesus had to do that himself before he taught it to his disciples he'd already walked it out but Jesus did not think the response to that was to bless them but it was to bless them did the disciples think they should start with blessing no but as Christians we are called to follow the example of Jesus so that we bless and don't blast 
Now, here's the, here's the story that ties in with it. And this one, I think, will be familiar to most of us. It says, it's the, it's the, on it, I've already read part of it. Let me read. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We read that already, right? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Remember I told you people want to prove that they're good people so they can get love and acceptance and they want blessing, right? But he wanted to justify himself. And maybe he was thinking, if Jesus thinks I'm a good person and that I do good things, maybe he'll bless me. Because that's how it works in the world. You prove that you're worthy of it, you get blessed. But Jesus, it's different with Jesus. So Jesus, uh, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So if Jesus answers a certain way, he'll say, oh good, I do love those people. You like me now? But Jesus doesn't just give him a simple answer of saying, this guy's your neighbor, this guy's your neighbor. He tells a story, and you've probably heard it before. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed him by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him by on the other side. At this point in the story, Jewish guys are going, Whoa, that's not right. Those people that proclaim the love of God, like priest and a Levite, it'd be like saying your local pastor walked by or even stepped over the guy. You know, serious? People are a little bit upset at this point, but they're not as upset as they're about to get because the next thing Jesus said would really infuriate them. He says, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went with him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, I read this story for, I've read this story a lot of times through the years. And along the way, I caught on to the fact that there was racial tension involved in the telling of the story. When you and I use the term Good Samaritan, we're, just, we're not talking about ethnicity. We're just talking about someone who happens along, someone who's in trouble, and helps them. That's what we mean. But for the Jews who would hear this, this was the ethnic group they hated. This is who they were racist towards. The Samaritans. And so I learned that along the way. And so this has been a powerful story because I realized that Jesus has put in the least likely person to be the hero in their minds. So he's saying, and the hero of the story is the Samaritan. Whoa, not Samaritans. They're not good people. They're bad people. We don't want them around. We don't like them. Do you know how terrible they are? There's all sorts of things that are in their minds that are resisting this revelation in the story. And you think about all the cultures in the world where racism exists and, different, and there's different grievances between people groups. It's really hard to hear a story where the hero is somebody you really don't think is a hero. 
But he does that. But it was just this week where I caught the second piece. Never seen it before in my life. And that's the fact that how did the disciples hear this story? So we learned that when the Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus stay in Samaria, that they wanted to kill them. So it's not just that they were racist towards the Samaritans. It was that the Samaritans were racist towards them. So Jesus has shocked the Jews by making the people that the Jews hate the hero of the story, but he shocked the disciples by making the people that the Jews just, just or that the disciples just recently experienced racist treatment from the heroes. I want to see, if anyone can make a room awkward, it's got to be Jesus. He offended, like, I mean, it's just like everybody's going, whoa, whoa. Remember just a few days ago? Remember just a little bit there? How you felt when the Samaritan said, we won't put you up because you're going to Jerusalem? Remember what that was like to be turned away? Now I'm going to tell you the story where that person's the hero. Whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, like Martin Luther King, how he just said, man should be judged by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. I think this sort of jives with this story. Because Jesus said, what's the thing that sets the guy apart? It's not that he's a Samaritan, it's that he was merciful. It's that he was merciful. You know, I think there's cries for justice in our world right now that are louder than maybe they've ever been before in certain areas. And that's right. When there is injustice... There should be cries for justice. But there's another cry that really matters too, and that's the cry for mercy. That's for mercy. If everyone in the world got 100% justice, we still would be lacking. Because we need mercy. We need mercy. Where's the mercy for our failures? Where's the mercy for our sin? Where's the mercy? Is there mercy? That's the good news we bring. That's the good news we bring, is that there's mercy. When you say, well, if I got justice for everything I did... You know, especially some of the secret things that nobody knows. I wouldn't fare well. I wouldn't do well. A lot of people know that about themselves. And the good news of Jesus is that he not just is a bringer of justice, but he's also a bringer of mercy. And so you can see Jesus in this parable. But the Jesus figure in the parable is, is the Samaritan because he shows mercy like Jesus shows mercy. I hope in this time, while there are cries for justice, and again, when there is injustice, there should be cries for justice. I hope there's also mercy flowing out of your heart towards other people. I've, I've noticed lots of people in conflict over words in the last week, and I've thought, you know what? I hope the Christians that I know pour grace over these exchanges that they have with other people. So someone says something slightly different than you or has a different political viewpoint than you, can you offer them grace? Can you engage them in a way that's, that doesn't curse them but actually blesses them? I mean, speak truth, but speak it with grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Can you do that? Can you pour grace over exchanges? I've seen the exchange, one of the exchanges that's so common now is that one person says black lives matter and another one says all lives matter. Now, one of my friends who happens to be black on Facebook, he, he made a nice post with about eight different ways to understand why 
Black Lives Matter. That's what he was writing the post about. I read them all. Some of them were longer explanations. The simplest one helped me the most. Here's the simplest one. When someone says black, life matter, black lives matter, what they mean is black lives matter too, or as well, or also. That's, what's, that's what they mean. Now, the problem has been that people hear black lives matter and they think that they've just said just black lives matter. So it's like there's a missing word in what they're saying and there's a missing word in what they're hearing and they get two totally different messages. So that's why people say, hey, all lives matter. All lives matter. You know what? I'd love to just bring two people like that into my room for counseling. I say, what are you guys here for? Well, I think black lives matter. I think all lives matter. I say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, people are made in the image of God. There's an inherent dignity in every one of them. But right now, black people seem like they're not being treated with that kind of dignity and that inherent worth. Oh, thanks for explaining that. Now, what do you mean when you say all lives matter? Well, everyone's made in the image of God. There's an inherent dignity in them. It's given to them by God because they're shaped in his image. And I think everyone should be treated with equal, equal dignity. You're mostly saying the same thing. Now, I know there's more nuances. Please, send me your emails. That's fine. <laughs> I know there's more nuances. But I'm telling you, if you don't pour grace on it, you're going to get into fights. You're going to get into arguments. You're not going to bring peace to the world. Yes, there needs to be unjust acts need to be met with justice. But there's ways that we pour gasoline on a fire in that it begins to destroy more. I, I think if you're going to be heavily involved, heavily involved as an activist in, the, in this time, and many of you are called of God to be activists, God's wired you that way. That's the way he shaped you. I want you just to check something. We've all been in a quarantine for a few months. We're not necessarily all as mentally healthy as we normally would be. So if you're teetering on the edge mentally and you say, but I need to fully engage this, this outrage, I need to fully engage this anger at this time, I just want to make sure you're going to come out alive. I want you to make sure you're considering the cost before you go into it. I think you need to be armed and ready. I need you, you need to be armed with the ability to bless people and to love people. Yes, significant conversations need to be had. Crucial conversations need to be had. But have you considered the cost before you begin? That's really important. So go and activate for the kingdom and bring justice, but bring mercy too. So when I'm in my neighborhood and I look at my neighbor and I say, that guy does this, that guy does that, that guy does that. These are all bad behaviors. Can I bless him? If I love him like Jesus loves him, I can. I can. Here's, it gets so, this is how far it should at least go. I asked you, could you love your black neighbor? Could you love your neighbor who's a policeman, an aboriginal neighbor, all the different things you might be considering at this time. Can you love your racist neighbor? They don't deserve love, and neither do we. I mean, we don't deserve the love of God. We don't deserve the blessing of God. We don't deserve all that he's lavished upon us. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you might not know all about what I'm talking about. But if you're a Christian, you know. God has been so kind to you. He's been so kind to you. 
And it's not deserved. If you're a Christian, you you must understand that. That it wasn't because you were good. It was because God was good. All that you have in your life, all the blessing in your life, I hope you live in gratitude every day because of what Jesus has done for you. If that's real in your life, then you can't go to someone else and say, well, you haven't earned my approval. Yes, there might be things they're doing wrong that should be had crucial conversations about. But God loved you when you didn't care about him. And God loves you in spite of your sin. And God's calling you to represent him in your neighborhood. And so you got to love neighbors who do things you hate. Just like God loved you when you did things that he hates. We got to go from blasting to blessing. We got to go from blasting to blessing. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. I read this again this week. I was just listening to George Floyd's fiance talk. You know what she said about him? She said he was a person of peace. Then I listened to George Floyd's pastor talk about him. This is what he said. This is out of Newsweek, uh, the Newsweek article. He said, we wanted to do an aggressive, actual, life-on-life discipleship in this particular neighborhood. I was like, are these people writing my sermons for me? This is amazing. I wanted, we wanted to have impact in this neighborhood. We wanted to see people come to Christ in this neighborhood. And then he says about George Floyd. He was like the OG. That's, that's like a complimentary term. It means original gangster. But it means someone who has credibility in the neighborhood. Okay, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know all that stuff, but I did look it up. He was like the original gangster of the neighborhood and made sure that we were welcomed in. In the Bible, this is the pastor saying, in the Bible we call it a person of peace. Where does he get it from? Exactly the passage I'm reading to you today. Thank you, Lord. He helped us, it says about Floyd. He helped us and allowed us to operate in his neighborhood. Floyd was well-connected and well-respected in the area, and he eagerly threw his reputation and his labor into the initiative of seeing people come to Jesus in the neighborhood. Now, I read articles because I never block anyone on Facebook because I'm hoping to bless all of them, and I'm hoping to see them all in heaven, and I'm hoping that they'll all be in my spiritual family. I read articles from people who wrote, and it wasn't them writing them, but it was articles that were written and saying, ah, George Floyd wasn't a very good character. And no, he was a great character. Back and forth. And said, you know what? You don't need to be a great character to be a person of peace. A person of peace is receptive to the blessing of the, that, that a person of God brings. So if I have a neighbor and I think most of his behavior is reprehensible, I don't want my kids to turn out like that neighbor. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm engaging with that neighbor. And they open up. They're a person of peace. Now, if they're like the Samaritans and say, no, we can't have a relationship, you can't stay here, we can't be engaged, then I can continue to pray blessing for them and believe that someday there will be an opening. Believe that someday they will be a person of peace. But Jesus said, when you come into a neighborhood and you start praying, maybe you're praying for the neighbors around you, the number of houses around you. Maybe pick the first Six houses around, well, one, two, three, four, five. The first five houses around you, right? Pick those. Start praying for them. And maybe you'll find out that one of those neighbors is quite receptive. 
You say, here's a person of peace in the neighborhood. They're receptive. They're open. And I'll start there. And I'm going to keep praying, blessing for the other ones who maybe are a little less receptive, that they will open up as well. That's what I believe is meant by, in verse 7, where it says, stay there. Stay there. Invest for the long term as much as you can. I know God might call you somewhere else. You might move somewhere else. Jobs might call you somewhere else. But stay there as long as you can. Invest for the long term with people. Eating and drinking whatever they give you. Eating and drinking whatever they give you implies, like, eating is really, that's a friendship type thing. But also, it means that it becomes a mutual blessing. You're blessing them spiritually through prayer and believing for a better future for them. A future with God in their lives. That they'll experience the full blessing of all that God has for them. You're believing for that. But they might bless you in other ways, right? I had one neighbor, who I, one of my first ones I engaged with, he had really good insight into um, how to get the grass cracks. I have gra- we have cracked sidewalks on my street, and they all have gra- little weeds in them, and how to deal with those, right? First thing, one of the first things I learned in the neighborhood. Now, I keep forgetting to apply the right formula in doing it, but just those interactions, you suddenly go, hey, I'm getting and giving. This is mutual, right? They're able to be a blessing in my life as well, but you're praying that they'll experience the ultimate blessing of knowing God. So stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Here's the last thing. I mean, Kurt's talked a lot about blessing, and now I'm talking about blessing again and maybe giving it a little different context. But I want to just, the, the, the next thing you, you do and, is that you spend time with them I've already mentioned that, instead of withdrawing. Now, I'll, I'll confess that my tendency has sometimes been to withdraw from people, thinking that I'm going off to do some really important thing for God somewhere else and not really getting to know the people who are around me who maybe don't know God, and, and God loves them, and God wants to engage them, and, and I'm the focal, I might be one of the focal points in the, in the neighborhood to do that. And so there's another very helpful story at the very end of Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to end with this one. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So that's good. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Jesus didn't send Mary to the kitchen to help Martha, because there's something more important. Now let me just say, there's lots of applications from this, and this has been preached on by many preachers through the year. I saw something a little bit new, and I'll share that with you today. You can make engagement with neighbors very complex. You can make it so complex. You think, yeah, I'd love to have them over. One day when our house is all clean, one day when I can prepare that special meal, one day when we can, uh, after we buy a new dishwasher, because this one looks ugly, one day, we, one day, one, one day, and so you've, you've set the bar so high that your engagement with your neighbor is never going to happen. You've made the price tag too big. So what I want to encourage you to do is make it as simple as possible. Instead of offering super distracting, super complex hospitality, 
offer simple hospitality. That's what Mary did. She offered simple hospitality to Jesus. What did she do? She listened. That's it. She listened. You know what? There's a show, you have to be my age or older probably to remember it, Tim the Toolman, Taylor. He has a neighbor named Wilson. You never see his face. But they talk at every end of the episode. I thought, man, I want a Wilson-like relationship, although I don't mind seeing people's faces. That's nice. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that kind of relationship with my neighbors. Just, just casually, as part of my everyday, just how you doing today? And then listening. Now, in that relationship, it's Tim the Toolman who unloads his stuff, and Wilson is always listening. So I would encourage you, I mean, again, if you're younger, you haven't seen the show, you may have to YouTube it or whatever. You could be a Wilson in your neighborhood. You could be a Mary who simply listens. But dial it down to something you can do regularly. And it's not so much that you have some, uh, you know, a set time that you do things with people. It's just that you're not in a hurry when it comes to the people you're praying for. Because hurry is going to be the enemy of loving well. And so you've got to have that time where you just sort of say, hey, they're open, and this is what I've been praying for. And if you've started with blessing, it will become very natural for you. Lord, I hope that someday they'll open up to me. This person who's resistant, who doesn't want to talk, who doesn't want to engage, I hope that they'll do that. Lord, will you make that happen? When they do that, if you've started with blessing, guess what? You're going to be eager for the second step. You're going to say, oh, what I prayed for is happening. It's a, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I get a little bit more engagement with this person that I dream of having all the blessing of God in their lives. Can I pray with you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love that we didn't earn. And Lord, I need to be reminded of that again and again and again myself. Because I just want to prove I'm so lovable. God, you loved me before I did anything. I'm not here to hold up my performance report card to earn your love. and to say, I know that's how the world works, but I know you're different. Help me, Lord, to have that firmly rooted in my own heart and my mind. And I pray this for everyone listening, that they would know they're loved by you. That that could be firmly established in their lives. That they could experience it. It would be a real thing in their lives that's foundational. They'd already have that in place. They wouldn't be so desperate and so needy for some other love because they've been filled up with your love. They know at a deepest level that you truly have accepted them and that they belong to you. And send Lord... I pray that that level of security would be in our lives so that we would not engage others around us needing their affirmation, but that we would go with something to give. We go with something to give. And so, Lord, I, I pray. Last week, Kurt, he challenged us to pick someone to begin to pray for. Lord, maybe you've already put something on someone on each one's heart. Lord, maybe there's more. Maybe there'll be a bit of a scouting around the neighborhood or in our sphere of influence that will lead to others that you want us to pray for. Lord, help us to begin to pray generous prayers over people. Faith-filled prayers. Lord, when we see uh, the trajectory of this person is not good, 
if they keep going the path they're on, it's not going to end well. Or they seem happy and oblivious without God. It doesn't seem like they need God. Lord, help us to pray faith-filled prayers over those people. And Lord, I pray that those prayers would change our hearts. If there's anything residual in us that doesn't love like you love, show us. And we'll repent. We'll turn. We'll confess that. And we'll turn. And put your love in us, our hearts, for the people around us. We ask that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for inviting me into your living room or whatever space that I'm with you today. God bless you and have an incredible week.